All right, so uh, that was two weeks ago. Today is Quasimodo, Genity. Everybody knows that because Hunchback Notre Dame, right? <laughs> Quasimodo, named after the Sunday. It just in Latin, it means like newborn babes, which is the beginning of the intro. It. So it's also the confession of, of, Sim, of um, excuse me, of St. Thomas. So uh, confession, <laughs> quote unquote, negative. So it's still Easter. That's the point. Uh, but unfortunately, it also has another name this Sunday. Do you, anybody know the other nickname? The Sunday after Easter. Yeah, the second Sunday of Easter. Notice it's not in Easter, it's of Easter, so it's still Easter. No, it's sometimes called Low Sunday. And that's, that's a really old name, but it still seems apropos. Because yeah. it's referring to the fact that... And the choir, the choir is not singing this week. They sang last week. We don't have any brass. People, they already been to Easter. And it's like, it's still Easter, but yet we... It's let down Sunday. Yeah, that's right. Which is sad, because it really shouldn't be. But that's just what it is. All right. I just wanted to tell you that. So we left off. We did Stewards of the Mysteries. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah, so that's on the second page uh, to the second A point. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ. We talked about what it meant to be a servant. Stewards of the mysteries. We talked about what stewards do. They handle. They care for. The mysteries of God, which is, um, oh, yeah, euphemistic. Lord's Supper, baptism, word of forgiveness, word of God preached. You know, and, and today's sermon really is about the mis- mystery um, of faith, which actually faith is a mystery too, that, that we believe even though by flesh and blood we have no capacity to believe. We were dead in trespasses and sins, as, as Paul says. Okay, so lots of mysteries to be stewards of, to give. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy, or worthy of trust. Um, now, how do, I, don't, do we, I don't feel like we actually talked too much about that. I think we ran out of time, am I right? All right, so... Uh, what do, you, what do you get from that? Stewards be trustworthy. Why is that important, maybe? Because they're an agent. Because they're an agent? Yeah, what do you mean? I mean, they, they're, they're entrusted with property that's not theirs. Yeah, so trust, who are they accountable to? Who is the steward accountable to? The people he gives the gifts to? Yeah, to, to the king, to the one he's the steward for, right? So they're not his own gifts. They're his gifts to give, but only according to and under the, the orders of the one who gives them. Now, here's the neat thing about it, is that the mysteries of God, namely um, the gifts of forgiveness and baptism, in baptism, Lord's Supper, or, you know, these things are not to be, uh, on the whole, restrained, right? I mean, the Lord says what about his cup? It... Yeah, it runneth over, right? That's Psalm 23. So, um, so to be a good steward of God's gifts is actually to give them abundantly and freely and often, right? Not to be like, oh, these are just, these are ours and these aren't for you. We had a little experience with that this morning in church, those of you who are here. You know, sometimes it's challenging. People don't come from the same background. They have a different way of behaving in church. Yeah, we had somebody off the street, so who came in? Uh, he actually uh, has been, he lived in the area for a year. I don't know where he moved from, um, but he was here for Wednesday night for the food bank. So then he doesn't have a church home, so he came in. You understand he's a Baptist, Sharon? Baptist background, yeah, yeah exactly. which you probably, probably could have insinuated because yeah. he wasn't quite as quiet as um, Lutherans tend to be. Especially eight o'clock on Sunday morning. Amen. Amen. He was pretty exuberant, although he kind of chilled out. He he recognized that we weren't quite as happy to be there as he was. So that threw off me. It threw off Ethan a little bit, I think. Yeah. So that's all right. Yeah. He was he was very talkative uh, with amens, which is fine. I've actually encouraged you to say amen. You know, if you hear something that you believe or that you find is true. I gave him a blessing at the rail, and then he left. Yeah, yeah. So that's one of the challenging was being a good steward. There is to say, 
I just said to him at the rail, this is for those who... Well, Catholics do too. The Mass has ended. They're done. They got their sacrament. They walk out the door. So, I'm sorry, this is another tangent. But there's a parish in Dyer, just up the street from me, Roman Catholic parish. What they did is they have a 50-50 raffle after their offering. Listen to this. This is true. So they do the offering, and that's for the... Then they have a 50-50 raffle. But you can only claim the winning if you're there after the Mass has ended, and they, and they call out your name. Oh, gee. <laughs> it's absolutely true, and because they're such great benefactors to the diocese, they won't shut them down, even though it's completely oh, pagan. <laughs> That's how you keep people until the end of the service, a 50-50 raffle. Oh. Um, so trustworthy, stewards be found trustworthy. Uh, it's... The, the, the word there, trustworthy, uh, can also be just translated as faithful. Um, so, be found in the faith or according to the faith. So, in other words, that they are administering the gifts according to the word from God that, that our faith is grounded upon, right? So, according to the institution, if you like. You know, God says, baptize with water, say these words, so that's what... If he's not doing that, if he's adding his own words or goofing, just goofing around or whatever, that would not be trustworthy. So it's for your sake, it's for confidence, actually, that you know that he's doing the job as the Lord gave him to do. Following? All right. I didn't look up to see. All right. Yeah, we don't need to retread that. Do you have anything else on that? Okay. Second Corinthians 3, 4 to 5. Somebody would like to read for me. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. Yeah. So why would you read this at an ordination installation uh, of a pastor? <clears throat> this is, now, this is Paul speaking first person, right? Such is the confidence that we apostles and by extension pastors have through Christ toward God what that not that we pastors are sufficient in ourselves actually that we can claim as anything is coming from us <laughs> not charisma and I mean what are the things that people expect of the of preacher great speaking voice yeah great speaking voice or singing voice you know singing. yeah some pastors sing better than others that's fine really cool cool beards or it's not sufficient actually if, to be an Eastern Orthodox person anyway that's right <laughs> I did trim it it used I used to I go to the hospital people didn't understand that I was a pastor because they couldn't see the yeah. tab <laughs> it was a legitimate problem it's like I have to look up so you can see I have a tab um, yeah so that people expect all sorts of things from the pastor but what's the what would be sufficient for your confidence, for my confidence. Absolution. Yeah, the gifts, right? That um, the things that God would give. So one that I've been forgiven. You're right, but also uh, faith. Um, but knowledge of the scriptures. How do? Maybe it's helpful to talk about how uh, the scriptures were given to us, especially the apostolic scriptures, the New Testament. What, is, what, is the, what does the Bible say about the, where they came from? Holy Spirit. Yeah, the Holy Spirit did what? Inspired. Inspired, breathed in, that's what that means, right? Breathed into the apostles, the writers, the evangelists. Not, actually, how many of the evangelists were apostles? Matthew and John, right? But Mark and, and Luke were second generation, at least. Um, but they were breathed into by God so that they, what? So that they would, I, the way that Paul says it, carried along by the Holy Spirit, which I think um, in our imagination, we think that they like go into some kind of zone, trance, and they're just mm, robots. But that, that's not quite what, what is meant there. How would you understand that? Some of them were eyewitnesses, so they're writing what they actually saw. Or they were... They were. They interviewed. Yeah, interviewing eyewitnesses. Somebody said inspired, but so the Holy Spirit working in tandem with what they heard, 
experienced. saw, experienced, or what others saw, heard, experienced that recalled to them. Um, I like the way St. Luke does it with, with St. Mary, you know, that uh, she pondered these things in her heart. That's how it used to be translated. It's a, she stored them up. She, she remembered. She's like, okay, I need to remember this. Right? That's why um, Luke has some stories that nobody else was really there probably except for, um, except for uh, the father of Jesus, Joseph. Right? So Mary remembers. She stored them in her heart. The things the angel said to her, like she pondered these things in her heart. She then recalls them to John. That's John's little, or not John, excuse me, Luke's little buzz phrase to say, she told me these things. It's this, actually the same with pastors. So we study God's word, um, but every time, like before I go to preach, um, I ask that the Lord would give me the words to speak, and I would say them with kindness and faithfully and for your benefit, right? And sometimes it's really important, especially if it's a harder word to say that you, that you ask for that. But, but even preachers are preaching with the gift of the Holy Spirit, God willing, so that they're, they're, what they say and, and they speak are, is faithful, and it's according to um, Christ's own institution. Not quite the same as being inspired to write scriptures, right? Because that era has ended uh, with the apostles. Uh, but, but it is still somewhat similar in that our sufficiency comes from God. Um, and frankly, sometimes I don't know. I just don't know why a certain scripture comes to mind where, when I'm teaching or preaching, um, but it does. It's, I have studied it. I've read it. I know it. It's not like it's coming out of thin air. Um, but the, that recall um, is a gift from the Spirit. At least that's what, what we would say. Does that follow? Yeah. This has nothing to do with what you just said, but uh, I was just curious. Mm. How long do you think you know, Luke and Mary, you know, how, how long did they have an opportunity to interview? Well, in the realm of biblical scholarship, the dating of the um, Gospels is very disputed. Um, not just because what's that yeah and I, I would say all of the I would hold that all of the gospels are written before the destruction of Jerusalem John being the last so within a lifetime what 70 AD is yeah well the, the siege began like in 64 65 something like that, 66 maybe I don't remember there were multiple sieges, and then finally it was leveled in 70. And then people were deposed even years after that. And Revelation, you say, was like Yeah, John was in exile okay. on Patmos for Revelation. But that is gospel. There's arguments can be made both ways that way. But the point being is within a lifetime, within the generation of Mary, um, I would say all four gospels. And I'm not really into the whole theory that Mark wrote first and then Luke based his off of Mark or Matthew based his off of Mark, and Luke kind of drew from that too. Um, I mean, I think there's some evidence that there's wholesale portions that, are, that seem to be a direct copy, and, and probably are, but which came first? Um, I would actually argue Matthew is before Mark, and Mark is a, is a kind of a rewriting of Matthew for a Gentile audience. But anyway. And John had access to Mary too, probably. John did too, more yeah. More than Luke. Right. He was like her caretaker after but not having the infancy narrative is very in- interesting. Well, his in- infancy narrative is quite different. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. I mean, he says Jesus' birth is like creation all over again, which is cosmic, you know, um, really Greek um, kind of way of thinking, which fits with John's background. Um, but to me, that might indicate that John is writing, and Luke's gospel is already being shared. They already have the infancy narrative from the eyewitness testimony of Mary, um, in Luke's, in Luke's gospel, and so John writes a very different gospel. It's really it seems to be a sermon series, for lack of a better way, you know. Like uh, this is week one on, no, but it, it seems to be a very actually just like a very very long sermon. I would take probably I think four hours to read it maybe, in English and who knows in Greek maybe faster, but four and a half. I don't know. Anybody have a book on tape, a Bible on tape? So, by the way, if you've never done that, read a whole gospel start to finish out loud. Um, it's really brilliant. Start with Marcus. Yeah, start with Marcus. It's the shortest. <laughs> um, but to hear it, the whole context, um, things kind of pop, you know, that you didn't really notice before because you hear them in context. 
or the, the movement of things. There's a very fancy Bible. Have you seen the, I don't know what it's called. It's like six volumes. Mm-hmm. There's no notes or anything. No no chapter and verses. It sounds dumb because I love my study Bible too, but it's, you start connect. I mean, there's a few headers. Because mm-hmm. they're, like John, I didn't read in one sitting, so I'd like put my bookmark there. But uh, yeah, it flows better. We always isolate like this chapter, this happened, but there's all this stuff all around no. it. That chapter and verse markings came much later. Right. Yeah. Okay. Does that help answer the question? Yeah. So dating within Mary's lifetime. I mean, I wouldn't say it's a matter of, of like life or death faith kind of thing, um, but I think it is a helpful apologetic at least to say um, these are not the f- you know fancy what do you want to say imagination of, of, of later generations of Christians that are writing these books like some have argued um, and St. Saint, Saint John gives us that was it John today? yeah St. John gives us that very particularly in his gospel a couple of points especially at the end so we heard that like we've heard these things are written that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that by believing you'd have life in his name. You'll hear that today. I mean, he tells you, I only wrote down the things I needed to write for you, for your faith. There's many, too many, it would take too many books <laughs> to say everything that Jesus did. All right, so sufficiency comes from God. Um, and that, if you've ever seen like the prayers that a pastor would pray, there's one posted in the sacristy upstairs, it's Luther's. And you read that and that it, they all emphasize this point, is that we claim nothing is coming from ourselves. We ask for God, the Holy Spirit, to work in and through us as instruments, we would say. Okay, anything else on that? Eyes? Oh, here's a bigger one. Now we move to 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Mm. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of Christ to be reconciled to God. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Oh, look at that. There is a problem with the right. It says it has two more verses than it did. Huh. I think that's a Palm Sunday reading, isn't it? Is it? Palm Sunday episode. I don't know, that seems like ages ago. I can't remember now. <laughs> yeah, that's a really a tour de force, especially I haven't been serving full time as pastor. And then to basically be full, more than full-time for a week was uh, pretty incredible. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. That's baptism language, right? Yeah, new life, new, new creation. The old has passed away, sinner. Behold, the new has come. Saint of God. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. What does that word reconcile mean? It's, it sounds like an accounting term now, I guess, right? You like those words? Yeah. You're kind of done with accounting for a bit. I hope. Well, no, you still got a couple more days. You're here. Another week. You're here. Uh, I guess Sunday morning you get off. Um, yeah, it, it can mean to change money, to change as in money, right? To exchange one thing for another, to reconcile. Um, it can also mean to change from enmity to friendship, right? Which is precisely what we have in Christ. Um, we, he is not, God is not your enemy. That's a good way to say that. In Christ. And, but notice who does it. All this is from God. So God is not your enemy, um, but, but he makes Christ, his own son, second person of the Holy Trinity, his enemy. In effect, right? He abandons, well, abandons him upon the cross, punishes him for your sin. Um, the whole, all of the wrath of God is poured out upon him. He drinks it to the, the dregs, right, to the bottom of the cup. And uh, therefore, and gave us, who? This would be Paul talking, first person, gave us, so we apostles, 
the ministry of reconciliation. So we talked about what ministry means. That means to serve, right? And it's diakonia in, in Greek here. So it's to, it, it's a, um, it's like a servant, service word. So to give you that reconciliation, that is, here's, here's the message of Christian preaching, that in, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. So it's all God's work, right? Yes? Okay. Not counting their trespasses against them, that would be you, and entrusting to us, apostles, preachers, the message of reconciliation. All right. Following so far? Therefore, we, this is Paul talking, are ambassadors for Christ, um, messengers, emissaries, what another word? Good news preachers, really, all right? For Christ, God making his appeal through us. Hmm. So we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. It's already true, right? What's the, what's the problem? God's already reconciled you in Christ to himself. What's the problem? Us. Yeah, us. <laughs> okay, that's pretty broad. But specifically, we don't believe it, Right? But here we implore you. That's why you need the message. Because with the word of God comes the Holy Spirit. With the Holy Spirit comes, with the word, faith, right? Trust, belief. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Uh, This is a really key passage right there. Uh, Luther, uh, early in his ministry, 1521, 1519 even, 1819, he was already talking this language. He called this the... Great exchange. Yeah, the great... Um, I actually prefer... Blessed. Uh, blessed, yeah, because it's a blessing. Exchange. And you hear this... I use this language in the sermon today, too. So uh, it's the idea that he takes our sin and gives us his... Righteousness, righteousness that's right, his law-keeping. He takes our law-breaking and gives us his law-keeping, if you like. Um, He takes our death, he dies our death, in order that we receive his life, right? Um, Got another one? (laughs) Well, God sees us now through the lens of Christ's work rather than our own. Yeah, so he takes all of our dead works and gives his his perfect obedience. It's another way of saying sin and righteousness, right? But is that quite how you said it? Yeah, so we see, so when God looks upon us, he sees not us, but he sees his son. Because his son took everything that was ours. Mm. Anything else that he exchanged? He gave up his crown, if you like, to make make us sons and daughters of the king. Right? Yeah, I said it in the sermon. Yeah, he takes our unfaithfulness and gives us his faith, his un- our unbelief, and gives us his belief as a gift. So it all becomes gift, and it's so it's kind of an unequal exchange. <laughs> Usually it's like exchange of goods and services, right? So I give you money and you get, that has value and then you give me whatever service you offer or good that you have, right? And it seems to be a fair exchange, right? This is really a pretty big scam that God takes on himself, if you like. I know it sounds um, maybe less pious, but, but that's really how it works out because it's pretty unequal, unequal, uneven. Christ takes the sins of the whole world actually upon himself, which uh, isn't fair, if you like, if you want to be a like a small child, Dad, it's not fair. No, it's not fair, and thank God it isn't, right? Because if it was fair, it would be based upon works, obedience, tit for tat, scales, balance, all that kind of stuff, and that'd be no fun. Yeah. Uh, something that sticks out to me here is that pastors are entrusted with the message of reconciliation. Yeah. Reconciliation presupposes that we're estranged or alienated from God. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, there'd be no need to reconcile. So, if a pastor leaves out of his message that estrangement and alienation, then they're not actually preaching the message they should be preaching. Yeah. So, if you don't know your what would separate you from God, which we call broadly speaking sin, but has very specific ways that's manifest in each of you, right? For myself. Um, if you don't know what would separate you from the love of God, well, what can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus? 
actually nothing, right? Right? Unless you want it to, right? So, so this, is, this is where it gets a little tricky, right? Because you don't want to believe, and yet God gives you faith, and you, you don't want your sin because he forgives it, and, unless you do want to hold on to it, right? So implore you, as Paul said, you know, as ambassadors for Christ, be reconciled to God. That is, give him everything that would separate you from God in Christ Jesus and receive everything from him that is needed for salvation. But to give him means admit or confess, you know, that we don't trust him or we don't believe unless we see, which was, that's Thomas, right? Unless I see the handprints and the wound in the side. Yes, she says he has to put his hand in there. There's a great painting of this. You know which one I'm talking about? Caravaggio. Caravaggio. Yeah, Caravaggio, the Spanish painter. Where Thomas has like got his hand thrusted into the side. Which, incidentally, the gospel actually doesn't say he ever did. It doesn't talk about him actually touching, even though I suggest in the sermon he does. Um, reads it like Braille. But uh, he just says, my Lord and my God. So even the, even the instruction, look at the wounds, is enough to create faith, it seems. Just look at me. You see the wound? He hears the voice. The voice, along with the voice comes faith. That was a whole other sermon I decided not to preach today. <laughs> but, um, yeah. So what, what were we talking about? So, oh, be ambassadors. Preach, not only preach God loves you, but preach why, God, why you need God's love, really, if you want to put it that way. What would separate you from God in Christ Jesus? Nothing, unless you want it to. God isn't your enemy unless you'd like him to be again. You know? So hold on to your sin. Hold on to that which he's already forgiven in Christ. Um, that doesn't go well for you. Or say, I, I confess, poor miserable sinner, in need of mercy sinner. Do that. Good? All right. I, I don't know why I was confused about the length. That's right. We read through verse 21, right? Okay, good. Second Timothy. Uh, this is, uh, by the way, Timothy and Titus. These are books written by Paul to young pastors as instruction on how to be pastor, how to do the pastor job, if you like, or vocation. Second Timothy 4. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away <coughs> pardon, mm-hmm. and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Yeah, it almost sounds like uh, it would be a great sermon for a, for a pastor's ordination or installation, right? Oh, yeah. yeah, I like how you read it. <coughs> Yeah, so there's a lot there, isn't there? All right, so I charge you. So it is a charge, like at a graduation, right? So here, maybe in a, at an installation. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. And that's true. You make an oath as a pastor to, to do these things. Who is judge of the living and the dead by his appearing in his kingdom. Okay. Preach the word. That's the first clause, right? And that seems pretty easy to do, I guess. <laughs> not as easy as it sounds. Preach the word. Next clause. Be ready in season and out of season. What does that mean? Like yeah, like hunting season. That's right. Yeah, so be ready to preach on Easter Sunday when there's lots of people or on probably tonight, <laughs> 6 p.m., and there may be three people. Right, and it seems like oh, I should just go home because, and yet two or three gathered in his name, right? So be ready to preach there too. Um, but I think it also means on occasion, right? So there's context where pastors are given to preach the word that aren't quite as formal, you might say, right? 
So you're at the hospital bed, or you're in somebody's home, or you're in the grocery store. I had this happen when I was um, actually a seminarian. I was wearing my collar. I had to stop and get potato chips on the way home. <laughs> I'm in the grocery store. I'm in the potato chip aisle. I don't think I had to get potato chips, but whatever. I was buying potato chips. Don't know why I remember that. And somebody came up to me and said, um, you know, Father, will you hear my confession? I was wearing a Roman collar like this, you know. And, uh, and my first thought is, oh, no, I'm a... Actually, I think it was my thought. I'm like, no, I'm a vicar. I'm not actually uh, a priest. Um, and I can only imagine what was coming through their head, you know. Like, wait a minute, you're dressed like one, so why don't you just hear my confession, pronounce absolution, right? Um, it's one of those awkward moments <laughs> where you're wearing the costume, but you don't actually have the orders of the costume or of the uniform. But there, I mean, that was an occasion where actually it would have been, as a Christian even, just appropriate for me to say, you know, in the, um, not in the stead and by the command, because that's ordination, but, you know, as fellow Christian, I forgive you your sins, right? To hear confession from a, another Christian and pronounce absolution in Jesus' name. So in season or out of season, I think the, do we all agree that I think that's what's going on there as well? So what did you do? Uh, I did not because they were looking for a Roman confession. I mean, in hindsight, it was kind of dumb. I probably should have, but that was 10 years ago, more than 10 years ago. You should have just told them his penance was to buy you the chips. <laughs> Father, I have sinned. Okay, one hour, Father, two Hail Marys, and buy me the chips. And a bag of chips. That's nice. Uh, reprove. What's that word? These are these weird weird words in Greek and they get translated in English strangely. Preach the word. So, a kairos, uh, which has oh, a lot of... It, what does reprove mean? Somebody... Correct? correct? No, that's really rebuke more. Reprove. To point out error. Yeah, convince. Like demonstrate. demonstrate. Right. So, make a case for... If you, if you like. All right. And then the next one is, yes, to what? Rebuke. Yeah, to cross-examine, to question, to confute. I can even mean to put to shame or to disgrace. All right, so to point out error specifically, not to convince of the truth, but to point out error. Ooh. Anybody have that happen to them from their pastor? Yeah, don't admit it. It's fine. Don't say it out loud. <laughs> um, that's probably the hardest part of a pastor job because when you say, um, that was a really bad idea, or, you know, um, can we do better next time? People take it. It's kind of like when a parent corrects their child. And it's especially hard if the pastor is 40 and you're 70. And so now you have a younger person telling you that you're an idiot. It seems like, like there's a flow here. Uh-huh. First, you demonstrate. So uh-huh. Maybe you don't even have to get to review. So maybe we've all been there, but. Hopefully, yeah. Yeah, and then what's exhort? Nag. Nag? <laughs> no. Strongly encouraged. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it's an interesting word. It can mean to, to lay value upon, to show honor to, to raise in price, or to lay a penalty on or censure. That's the opposite. So it can mean either, but usually we mean this in a positive way to show honor to God's word, to encourage that way uh, with, with all seriousness. So I, I, I like Adam's, um, the flow there, that idea that this is a step-by-step almost. First, you can try to convince, and if they will not hear you, then rebuke them, say, and then show honor to God's word through exhortation, which is another, maybe a preaching word, really. Following? All right. With, this is important subclause here, with all... Paracleo. What is that? With all comforting or long suffering is how it's translated here. How's it translated in yours? With all, with complete patience. Yeah, that's good too. Um, for the aid of, we might say, and teaching. So you like probably uh, most pastors, if not all. Um, want it all and want it now. Actually, that's the quote uh, uh, the purple girl from Willy Wonka. Violet Beauregard? 
I want it, I want, I want it all, and I want it now, right? And then she ends up, she was a bad egg. That's the movie version. We want the same thing. You're like, okay, we want all the solutions. We want to fix whatever problem, whatever thing is wrong, whatever's wrong with us personally, with our home or with our, 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 our faith or our, our life, uh, with our congregation, with our relationship within the congregation, pastor, congregation, or members. We want it all fixed today, right? Give us the magic bullet, the, the answer. You know, and it is pretty simple. It's be reconciled to God <laughs> in Christ Jesus. Be reconciled to one another, love toward one another, faith toward God, right? In Christ. That's what he does. Um, so simply proclaimed maybe, but not so simply received and practiced. Um, so it ends up being more of a, a discipline, if you like, or a, a work in progress. And so congregations and relationships and lives, they change day to day. Uh, and... Uh, but we're not always patient with that. The only time I think maybe we learn that patience is when we look back and you say, oh, look at where we were. I look at where we are. And you're like, oh, that's what patience looks like. But in the moment, not so patient, right? And long-suffering, that's, that's a, or with all comfort or with patience, again, that's a word really uh, here to Timothy, the young pastor, is like, have you ever, you've never had a pastor straight from seminary, right? You can thank God for that. You had, you've had associates. Associates a little different. A sole pastor straight out of seminary. I was one. Um, work in progress is an understatement. <laughs> put it that way. I mean, it, it's unfortunate, but really, um, like Timothy, he needed a mentor. You know, and we don't always have mentors. Some are just pastors. Sometimes just dump in a situation. Every pastor's got their own thing going. They're busy. Uh, with their own thing, and they're not going to be attentive to the new guy in the circuit or the district. And there, there are programs for this. One's called PALS, which is an acronym for something. Um, but it's it's supposed to be the support network for young pastors, new pastors, not necessarily young, but new pastors, so that they don't go out and make all the mistakes that the last guy made when he was a new pastor, um, which they tend to do anyway. So, yeah, it's, it's true. So patience and long-suffering, or um, what was the other word there? Teaching. Uh, these things don't, you, no pastor comes to a congregation fully formed. Not even one who's been in the ministry for seven, 10, 20 years. They're going to grow and change, and you grow and change with them. But if they're brand new, um, they're only probably formed from the other side of the pew, or other side of the chancel, right? From sitting in the pew and observing their pastors that they uh, grew up in the church with. If they're not a recent convert, maybe they, if they're a recent convert, they may have only had one pastor in their whole life. And that's the only pastor they know how to be is the one they've seen. Does that follow? So it actually works both ways. Uh, pastors to learn to be, to recognize that the, the congregation has had, some of you can name at least, well, how many has it been? Two plus interim, right? Lutz, then. But you can remember five or six in between, yeah. And Degner. Oh, and Associates, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. So. Oh, no. I started. I opened up the, the floodgate. Yeah. Right. So what the young pastor doesn't recognize is that their, their background, their expectation, their, uh, the way that they were formed or modeled to be a pastor is, is generally going to be emulation of the one, that they, the one who was their pastor or the men who were their pastor. But you have a very different perspective because I don't know any of those pastors. Well, I know Degner, actually. He married us, but that, that's the limited one. Yeah, he was my wife's pastor, actually, growing up at St. James. Um, so, so I know one of them, and I know a little bit about him. But generally speaking, I can't really, I don't really know exactly what you imagine a faithful pastor would be like. Okay, that's why we're doing this in part, um, so that maybe you can establish this is what it means to be a pastor. And these are the things that are nice, but aren't really part of that. You know, just things that I've attached, right? Like personalities and 
outfits and things or whatever it is, or certain practices that were uniquely that pastors or um, whatever. So yeah, patience, long-suffering, recognizing that there are things that uh, maybe you're not ready for that need to be taught first. Um, the challenge of um, Lutherans today, I think in particular, is that I'm thankful to God for all of you, um, but you are roughly, what, 10, 15% of the attending congregation? Is that a fair number? Yeah. I, I'm not counting how many, but it's at most 10% of what might be here on Sunday morning, right? Or 15%. Yeah. 15%, I think that's closer. Uh, that means that there's 85% of people that I don't have that specific opportunity to do teaching with as a pastor, right? So then how do I teach someone like say some practice or something that's going to happen on Sunday morning in the divine service if you're not there, here for the teaching, where we do teaching. So one option, of course, is to do that in the setting of the divine service. And I know that's been done here. Um, I saw you had like a narrative divine service years and years ago. Anybody remember that? Where each part had like an introduction and you went through the whole service? Mm, it might have been in Bible. I think it was actually on Sunday. It takes a little. It takes a while. <laughs> it, it, you know, it can take two hours because you have all those introductions. We could hold a fifty-fifty raffle. Stick around for all of this narrative line. Yeah. Actually, the time to do that would actually be maybe in a less formal way, like you say in a Bible class, and just go through and do each part. And it, it's something to do it all in one setting, just like reading the gospel together. Hearing the whole of the divine service together, I think, is helpful. But um, there's, there may be ways to teach, or maybe just each week you introduce a different part of the service and you do that regularly. Yeah. Yeah. Right, but that requires the person in the pew to pick it up, read it, and, and to meditate upon it and think about it. And you don't want them reading in the pew during the service? I don't mind. During the sermon? Oh, you shouldn't have said that. During the sermon? Well, it depends on what you're reading. It's like when kids look at all the stained glass windows and I think yeah. they're just wandering towards but their mind is focused on Christ. So yeah. I mean, I rec- take notes and reads the scripture readings during yep. her pastor's sermon because his sermon's a lot longer than yours. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. It helps her focus on oh, God's yeah, word. If you take notes during the sermon, it does help you Well, especially if, if um, it's not quite as well formed, you know? point A, point B, point C, or something like that. Um, that might be helpful to just, or even if, if, if it's just questions. Like, he said this, what does this mean? You write the question, then you can ask me later, right? Because you won't forget the question you had. So that's really helpful. Um, and you're right. Um, I think we recognize as a, as a church that not everybody has the same attention span, right? It's one of the reasons why sermons are shorter today, generally speaking than they were even 10 years ago, 20 years ago. I mean, I grew up on 18 to 22 minute sermons. And then, um, and that it's under 14, I mean, 14 is pushing it, 12 is probably about the limit for most people. Um, And then I I know that Pastor Hines was eight, six minutes sometimes, very short. And that's, I mean, that can be startling. Like, oh, we got to the end already. And then you realize, oh, I was not really paying attention, (laughs) right? Because we already got to the end. I, I missed the beginning. But um, so stained glass windows are a great way to, to teach, especially to children who aren't literate, who can't read, right? Um, what else do we have? The I sacrament. Do, I do like that idea, maybe. I haven't formulated it yet. We're just throwing out ideas here. Mm-hmm. But one reason a lot of people like start to say, well, why do we do this liturgy thing? Yeah. And then you know, and then you're told exactly why we do it. Mm-hmm. Then it's like, oh, now this is awesome. Now I love this. And it has like a whole new meaning to it. Yeah. Whereas if you just don't know why we do it, then you think it's some artifact from and not useful anymore. Yeah. Well, and in some ways it is artifact, um, but, but it was retained for a purpose, if that makes sense. Yeah. So we, we're very cautious about just skipping parts. Um, just if we don't, especially if we don't know why we're doing that, uh, maybe it's easy to skip it, but that doesn't mean we should. Yeah. Um, just to share that I hmm. really enjoyed seeing the Nicene Creed on Easter broken down to words in the Bible. Did you catch that? I've never known that before. Yeah. Nicene Creed with Bible verses. 
that was a resource that I, that I worked on in my last parish. Uh, and I, I hoped it would edify some people. I knew we were going to print the whole service out for, for guest visitors on Easter. So I was going to put the creed in there anyway, so I used that version. I actually have even a fuller version where <laughs> there's more references, but then it doesn't, it gets a little awkward on the page. So those are the chief ones. So the, the point was each phrase has uh, scripture references next to it from last Sunday on Easter. I could print that off for you again if you want. I actually had it on our website so that when you rolled over the verse, it, it popped up the verse. So then you could go and you could read all those verses without having to, you know, just get through it quickly. Nice. Yeah, but the, anyway, the Nicene Creed um, is a teaching device as much as it is a proclamation of what we believe. And so that's, that's what you caught with the verses. This is a way to distill the faith down into just a few words, especially distill it, but also reject errors. So that's the, um, if you like, if we were going to go through the creed uh, in a setting like this, in Bible study, we were talking about, okay, you know, why do we say of one substance with the Father, which is the Greek word is homoousios. You don't have to worry about homoousios. Of one substance. Why did they put that in there? Why do we say that? Why is that important? At the time, there were people disputing that. Yeah, who said that Jesus was not of the Father, not of the, he was adopted in, there's, yeah, there's different actual errors that that responds to. You're just, um, so yeah, the creed teaches. So there are different ways to teach even in the setting of the divine service. I like that. And uh, you could do that. You could teach through parts of the liturgy um, each week. Problem is, is that, you know, you, if you don't have people in church every week, they're going to miss parts, but yeah, I you, you, you can only teach and preach to the people who are there, <laughs> you know? I have a couple of things to say. Um, mm-hmm. For those interested on issues, etc., Pastor Will Whedon breaks down mm-hmm. each part of the liturgy. It's like an hour-long podcast for, yeah. to intro it, like an hour. I don't know. It's, it's yeah, like, they it's spend like, at least an hour on the intro. spend uh, over a day listening to everything. I highly recommend it. Mm-hmm. I try to get through it once a year. Um, also, Emmanuel Press, not CPH, they publish... Um, Explanation of the Common Service. Mm-hmm. It's a very expensive book for being like this thin. It's like fifteen dollars yeah. for a small publisher. Highly recommend that if you're curious about all the parts of the liturgy. And going off of the creed and teaching, why is the Apostles' Creed and Luther's Small Catechism mm-hmm. and the Nicene Creed is? Not, I know it's in the, yeah. the Book of Concord. Why was that one chosen? Is because it's simpler, shorter. The Baptismal <laughs> Creed. What's that? You said. Just said it's shorter. Yeah, it's shorter. But my issue is I I can't blame my three-year-old for switching back and forth. I, know. I do the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I really like that at St. John's we have communion every service, and we say the Nicene Creed. But I say the Apostles' Creed at bedtime. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then he's, and I am, and this is like, I have to read it at home. Because mm-hmm. in a setting with everyone saying it, yeah. I can do it without reading. Yeah. So why would it be inappropriate to... Just do the Nicene Creed every day. I don't want to throw. Oh, the okay. Apostles creed. Well, the tradition of the church. I mean, the Apostles' Creed we know historically was written as the baptismal creed for the Church of Rome. So they were giving that creed. They were teaching it to those who were being baptized in Rome. So that was the creed for baptism. It is shorter. Um, the Nicene Creed is coming out of the both Council of Nicaea and the Council of Constantinople. Was at 451 is when it was finally ratified, A.D. Um, and that was written uh, to reject specific errors, not only contain the Christian faith you know, in a concise way, but actually to reject th- the errors that were going on in the church, broadly speaking, in the day. Um, as far as our practice in Lutheran church, um, it is, it, it, well, it has been from even before the day of Luther that the Nicene Creed is used at the service of the sacrament. And the Apostles' Creed is the daily baptismal prayer. There are some other peculiarities like that, practically speaking. Uh, One is that Luther instructed um, the Lord's Prayer to be said at every meal, at morning and evening, and in times of need. So that means at least, are you three meal a day people? All right, so three meal, morning and evening. That's five times. And then if you have any other time of need during the day, you pray the Lord's Prayer personally many times throughout the day. And then Luther instructed in the service of the sacrament that, that the Lord's Prayer was given to you by the, by the pastor. 
which you experienced on Easter Sunday, caused a little problems, of course, because it was you hadn't experienced that, but I think recently. Um, but that what, the reason I bring that up is that, like the creeds, the prayer has a different use in the church depending on context. Okay, so the Lord's Prayer said at home is, is, is said by you personally or corporately with your family. It's, again, the prayer of your baptism. Lord, teach us how to pray, the apostle said. When it's said in the context of the Lord's Supper, you know, the, the petitions are meant to have a different, I think they have a different connotation. So deliver us from evil with the sacrament. You know, take away our sin, forgive us. Or give us this day our daily bread. How does that, does that resonate differently than when you're saying it at mealtime versus when you're saying it at the Lord's Supper? It doesn't mean it doesn't, it just means both, actually. It can, it can mean both. So the context, I think, is helpful if you're consistent on that. So say the Nicene Creed of Church at the sacrament. We don't have other prayer offices, right, here at St. John's right now. So it's just, just divine service. So then when you're at home, say the Apostles' Creed and do that consistently. And I think, I think it'll work its way out. Um, yeah, go ahead. So do other denominations mm. profess the Apostles' Creed and or the Nicene? Yes. So Rome certainly does. Um, Episcopalians do. Hmm, who else? Generally, oh, lit- almost all Anglicans do. Where it gets a little bit more sticky is the Athanasian Creed. So Lutherans included the Athanasian Creed. Not written by Athanasius, confusing, but named in his honor. Um, I'm actually working. I'm, I, I have a couple of podcasts that I'm host of, co-host of, and we actually just did three episodes. It'll be out soon on um, C.S. Lewis talking about the Athanasian Creed. So we did three episodes on that which is really fascinating, talking about Athanasius. But anyway, Lutherans are pretty much the only ones who say those say the Athanasian Creed in the divine service. Trinity Sunday and other times throughout the year, if you're like me. Um, just because if you're only going to say it once a year, I just might as well just put it in the closet and be done with it because you won't remember it um, or you'll just be grumpy about it. Yeah. Oh, that long creed again. So, so much more. It is, and I, there's a responsive version. You can read it either verse by verse, or you can read it uh, male, female. Um, that version is pretty cool, too. So, same words. Yeah, I know, you want to pray, so we can go to church. Thank you for the hint. All right. Okay, let's pray. Uh, Lord's Prayer, actually. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. All right.